welcome back to Murder Mondays with Nicole. Episode 26 is about Crystal Fay Todd. Crystal Fay Todd was born January 4, 1974, to Junior B. Todd and Bonnie Faye Singleton Todd. This was Bonnie's only child, and she was so proud and blessed to have her. Crystal lived in a small tobacco town in Conway, South Carolina. Life was good. Her future held so much promise. She was a high school senior who was well-liked among her classmates and above average academically. Her mother, Bonnie, had just recently given her a brand new 1991 Toyota Celica as an early graduation gift in which Crystal cherished. On the evening of November 16, 1991, Crystal attended her grandmother's birthday party. She loved her grandmother dearly, but hanging with older folks wasn't really where Crystal wanted to be. After making a short appearance at the festivities, Crystal excused herself around 7 p.m. and kissed her grandmother goodbye. Bonnie Faye watched as the little car with the personalized license plate reading C. Todd disappeared out of sight. Crystal was headed to the mall to meet her friends. Within minutes of her arriving at the mall, Crystal found her friends and they excitedly discussed their plans for the evening. Around 9 p.m., Crystal and one friend decided to go to a party in the Punch Bowl community, where they stayed until 11 p.m. After dropping her friend off at home, Crystal rushed back to the mall to say goodbye to her other friends before meeting her midnight curfew. Midnight came and went, but there was no sign of Crystal. Crystal always made her curfew and was never late. We are now going to pause for a brief word from our sponsors. Are you looking for an extremely fun and stylish up-to-date salon? Then the color bar is the place for you. Our slogan is too glam to give a damn. The color bar knows their colors and can slay anything. Located in Chapin, South Carolina, near the heart of Lake Murray, our stylists stay up-to-date on all styles, cuts, and colors. Call for your free consultation at 803-932-HAIR. That's 803-932-HAIR. We can't wait to meet you. Bonnie was a widow and had spent years parenting alone. She had fine-tuned the instincts that come naturally to most loving mothers. So when Crystal failed to come home by midnight and had not bothered to call anyone and say that she would be late, as she would always do if she was going to be late, Bonnie knew something was terribly wrong. Bonnie began calling Crystal's friends to find out if they knew where Crystal could be. The last reported place of Crystal was at the Coastal Mall around 11.30 p.m. By 3 a.m., Bonnie had nowhere else to turn except the police. She dialed 911 and spoke with a dispatcher who took down the description of the missing teen and her car, along with details such as Crystal had last been seen and with whom. The dispatcher could tell the mother was horribly upset, and he tried to reassure her that late teens were not uncommon. Crystal was sure to show up soon. He asked that Bonnie would give him a call back when the teen came home, and Bonnie agreed she would. 
At 8 a.m., Bonnie frantically called 911 again. Two of Crystal's friends had reported her car at the Conway Middle School. An officer was dispatched to the location where he was met by the distraught mother, who indicated the car was locked, but Crystal's purse was inside. There wasn't much the officer could do other than take a report and, like dispatch, try to reassure the worried woman that her daughter was probably just out with friends having too much fun to call or come home. But Bonnie felt deep inside. She knew Crystal wasn't just late in getting home. She couldn't explain how, but Bonnie knew Crystal wasn't coming home. On Sunday morning, November 17, 1991, Two men were driving just outside of Conway in the Maple community, ready for a day of hunting, when one of them noticed something odd laying in the ditch along the side of the road. Getting out for a closer inspection, the men realized it was the body of a young woman. They immediately called police, who arrived at the scene soon after. A veteran officer later said it was one of the worst things he had ever seen. The first details investigators noticed included a trail of blood running from the roadway to the ditch, footprints, obvious signs of a struggle, and the position of the body indicated she had just been thrown into the ditch. The victim had been found with her belt and blue jeans unfastened and pulled down around her hips. Her shirt was pulled open and torn. Her bra was pulled up exposing her breast, and there was a large amount of blood on her face a gaping three to four inch opening across the throat area. The victim's body had been slashed. There appeared to be several stab wounds and slash wounds in the breast and abdomen area with a ball of inner body portions protruding from her body. Because of the gruesome nature of the murder, the possibility of a satanic ritual killing was discussed but quickly dismissed. Investigators did feel strongly, however, that this was a sex-motivated crime. Investigators went to notify Crystal's mother, hoping that they would reach her before the media or anyone else. When they told Bonnie Faye that they were certain that they found her daughter and having to pull from her hand a senior ring engraved with her name, the woman broke down in uncontrollable sobs. While the officer did not give Bonnie specifics about her daughter's death, they promised her that police would work around the clock to find her daughter's killer. The widow wasn't really listening. Her daughter, her only child, was gone. She was not sure she cared about anything else, especially about living. Bonnie had given birth to Crystal when she was 39 years old and viewed her daughter as a miracle. Bonnie told Forensic File, quote, I don't really have a life anymore. I just exist. I go from one day to the next, and I don't even get out of the bed to face another day. It's just hard, and it don't get any better, end quote. Medical examiner Dr. Jamie Downs conducted the autopsy of Crystal and found defense wounds on her left hand. He found that odd given that Crystal was right-handed. He soon learned that the reason was because Crystal had been stabbed in her left skull, which paralyzed her right side. In total, Crystal was stabbed 31 times. The autopsy told investigators that Crystal was raped before she was killed and was alive and conscious during the attack. 
Some of the wounds, however, were made after she died, indicating the killer was especially enraged and probably knew the victim. Dr. Downs concluded that the murder weapon was a three-and-a-half-inch knife with a locking mechanism. A profiler determined that based on the way the body was discarded, the perpetrator had likely never killed before. Forensic scientists analyzed the rape kit conducted for Crystal and learned that the killer had typo blood with a rare enzyme PGM as well as an extremely rare DNA profile. By this time, Bonnie, whose grief had turned to anger, said she was certain Crystal's killer was someone she knew. The chief police would later confirm that his investigators also believed Crystal knew the killer. After speaking with many of the girl's friends, they knew she was not the type to get into a car with someone she did not know. After digging into Crystal's notebooks and interviewing her friends, police had promising initial suspect. A man named Andy Tyndall. Andy was married but known for hanging out with teenage girls. Apparently, he and Crystal had been hanging out, and she might have even had a crush on him, likely unaware that he was even wanted in Alabama for a felony. Law enforcement agents pursued the suspect. After apprehending him, however, the DNA profile established by Crystal's rape kit cleared. Andy was not involved in her death. Bonnie soon grew impatient with police. She knew they were working hard, but she wanted her daughter's killer found now. Fortunately, she received emotional support from Crystal's friends, particularly Crystal's best friend, Ken Register. Johnny, Ken Register, and Crystal had grown up together, and even as adulthood loomed on the horizon, they remained close. While Bonnie may have not liked all of Crystal's friends, she was very fond of Ken. He was a good boy from a good family, a member of the Future Farms of America, a member of the high school football team. He graduated in 91 and was working full-time construction nearby in Garden City Beach, South Carolina. Ken was one of the first of Crystal's friends to be interviewed by police and was one of over 50 people who provided a DNA sample. While Ken and other samples were just sitting among the backlogged state crime lab, Ken stayed in touch with Bonnie closely, frequently being a shoulder to cry and ran on. Bonnie was thankful for Ken. He was also a wonderful source of support during a difficult time. For all their efforts, however, detectives still did not have a suspect. Since discovering Crystal's body, they had worked 16-hour days gathering pieces of evidence and interviewing over 400 people, but they continued to come up empty-handed. DNA evidence is regularly used now in crime investigations, but back in 1991, it was still new and a growing piece of technology. On February 15, 1991, the Conway Police Department recited a phone call from SLED. They had matched the DNA samples taken from Crystal's body and detectives. Crystal's murder marked the first case in South Carolina as being solved by linking forensic DNA evidence 
from a victim to a suspect. The police immediately began a manhunt for Ken Register, and on February 18, 1992, they found and arrested him. According to court docs, on the way to the police station, Ken twice asked for his mother and initially refused to be interrogated without her present. After several hours of interrogations, Ken finally broke down and confessed to the crime. He told investigators on the night Crystal died, they had unprotected sex. Ken claimed that when he ejaculated inside of her, Crystal was furious and threatened to cry rape if she became pregnant. Ken said he became outraged at Crystal's screaming insults and began stabbing her before he even realized what he was doing. Ken told investigators that when he came to his senses and realized what he had done, he panicked. He pulled Crystal from his car, tossed her in the ditch, threw away the knife, and hurried home. A search of Ken's home, where Ken still lived with his parents, recovered Crystal's car keys and newspaper clippings about the murder. When detectives went to Bonnie's home to tell her about the arrest and confession, she was stunned. Although she recalled Ken had been apprehensive about the DNA sample he had to give police, Bonnie said she told Ken several times, you don't have to worry about your blood sample. You didn't do it. Bonnie come to realize what too many families had already learned. Sometimes the killer is the one closest to us. After Register's arrest, police learned he had been arrested in September of 1991 for exposing himself to a couple of teenage girls asking them for directions. The charges were still pending when he was arrested for Crystal's murder. Since many sexual predators, including rapists and serial killers, typically begin with indecent exposure and later escalate to serial raping and killing, there's a chance a future habitual sex sexual offender was stopped before he could victimize multiple people. Since 1992, Ken was tried on the indecent exposure charges. It only took jurors two hours to return a verdict of guilty. In January of 1993, after deliberating for only 75 minutes, jurors in the trial for Crystal's death returned the guilty verdict on charges of sexual misconduct, kidnapping, and torture. Ken Register was sentenced to life in prison. Ken is presently incarcerated at the Broad River Prison in Columbia, South Carolina. He was eligible for parole in February of 2022, but waived his right for the hearing. Ken was quick to respond to my email, but refused to interview for this podcast. His next date for a possible parole hearing is February of 2024, according to state officials. If Ken is ever released, he will be required to register as a sex offender. Bonnie Faye Todd passed away at the age of 79 on September 3, 2014. She is buried next to her daughter in the High Point Baptist Church Cemetery in Conway. Former Horry County homicide detective Bill Knowles said, There's no question in my mind the loss of her daughter devastated her more so than any other family member that I have ever dealt with. Another local official, former Horry County solicitor Ralph Wilson, had remained friends with Bonnie after the trial. 
Raising Crystal had been Bonnie's whole life, Wilson said. Quote, if she is going to heaven, and I do believe she will, she'll see Crystal there, and I think that will give her the peace that she has been searching for. End quote. There is a chance one day that Ken could be paroled. However, there are many friends and extended family members of Crystal's who continue to write to and attend parole hearings anytime he is eligible. Hey, South Carolina homeowners, are you tired of paying an extremely high power bill, giving your hard-earned money away month after month, only to see the power bill continue to rise with no end in sight? Then pay attention for a no upfront cost solution for you. Top Tier Solar Solutions is the premier full-service solar company of the Carolinas. As a veteran-owned company that only uses American-made products, they are fully accountable and responsible as your professional guide when deciding to make the switch to go solar. Top Tier Solar Solutions have the industry's best 25-year full warranty and use the highest quality of products available. All of their installations are done by one of their own installation teams, making them one of the only full-service solar companies on the East Coast. Text the word SOLAR to 803-429-3337. That's SOLAR to 803-429-3337 to get started on your free, no-obligation solar quote and see how much you will be saving with SOLAR. Top-tier solar Solutions looks forward to serving you. Again, text SOLAR to 803-429-3337. Are you considering a move in 2023? Then this is the message for you. Meet George Simmons from EXP Realty. He is the top agent on one of the top real estate teams serving Lake Murray and the surrounding counties in South Carolina. After serving 20 years in the military and 10 years in law enforcement, George continues to serve the Lake Murray community by providing superior real estate representation. Call today for your free home valuation at 803-429-3337, 803-429-3337, or visit online at buyersellakemurrayhomes.com. George Simmons looks forward to serving you. Buyersellakemurrayhomes.com.